Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. And here with me today is Darcy Poppy, who is a dear friend of mine and also was a mentor of mine throughout my college years, which is why I have her joining me today so that we can talk about the blessings of a Christian mentoring relationship, especially among women, and also how that goes hand in hand with the blessings of having intergenerational friendships with other women. So Darcy, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Would you be willing to introduce yourself? Yes. So my name is Darcy Poppy, and I work at Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is my 12th year on campus. I've worked in campus ministry for 12 years and also with the Women's Leadership Institute for the last eight. The Women's Leadership Institute educates, encourages, and emboldens Christian women for exemplary leadership. And when we say embolden, we mean courage to step into the places you've been called to lead and to serve. So we really want women to feel like they can step out into those places as God leads And of course, we believe that you can do that according to the teachings of the LCMS and just as a blessing to both our pastors and our husbands, but also a blessing to the church at large. Wonderful. Thank you. And remind me, when was I a student and when did you come on? Was I a freshman when you were, when you had your first year? So I came in 2010, but I remember you were you were someone who was such a blessing to me, your encouraging spirit, even as a student, <laughs> as I transitioned, they are just meant a great deal. So those first couple of years were really special and you were part of that reason. So <laughs> Well, Darcy, I I don't know if what I would have thought of our relationship at that point where you know you were working on on campus and, and I was a student, if I would have thought of that at the time as a mentoring relationship while well, I was in it. But now looking back, I realize that it was and is. And also after reading your book about women mentoring other young women and the blessings of that. So you are the person for the job because I have personal experience from you and our relationship together, learning what it is like to have a mentor. But then also you have a book chock full of wisdom on how this translates into everyday lives for other women. Can you just tell our listeners about your beautiful book? Of course. Thank you. The book is called Someone to Walk With, A Women's Guide to Christian Mentoring. And it is based on the woman of the well story and how Jesus met her at the well and started a conversation which led to a transformation in her life. And obviously he can do that because he's the son of God and has that uh, ability in the lives of people, but we still get to walk with others uh, and walk with Christ as he walks with them also. So we still get to have that kind of front row seat to transformation in other people's lives because we get to watch God's work in someone through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a really special thing. I wrote the book because I wanted women in our congregations to see themselves as mentors, really to take that step and walk with someone, encourage them, 
sometimes we discount ourselves and think, well, I'm not equipped or why would that young person want to hang out with me? Or maybe that older person is too busy. And the truth is, is there's such a power when we just take that step and are willing to kind of reach out and say, I'm willing to mentor, I'm willing to be mentored. Would you walk with me? Well, I want to get more into the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. There's some really rich theology there that you essentially weave through your entire book. But first, maybe it would be helpful to define for listeners what you mean when you're talking about what is a mentor and what does it mean to be mentored? Well, I think there's a lot of parallel between mentoring and discipleship. But what I mean or what I want to just encourage women in is to walk with someone and whatever that person, older or younger, that is looking for a conversation partner, for a walking partner, to just be a person to say, I will help you with this problem. Like, I'm not going to fix it for you, but I'll, I'll listen. I can listen to it. I can help you you know, kind of figure out which part of it maybe you want to address or that you can actually influence or impact. I want to pray with you about it. I want to look at scripture with you. If I don't feel equipped, I want to direct you to someone who can help you. And I'm going to be a cheerleader on the side as you go through that process. You know, a mentor is someone who maybe has an area that of growth, a place where they want to grow. So that's the mentee. The mentor is the one coming alongside and helping them grow. But their role can look like a coach, or it could look like an encourager. So it can look a lot of different ways. I think the the beauty of how you define it is that it is kind of ambiguous, not ambiguous as in confusing, perhaps that's the wrong word, but it's kind of an, an open definition or a more of an organic definition for mentoring than what people might classically think of as mentoring being applied to a just a purely professional space or a a career space, you know, you would have a, a mentor to help you get better in your given field. But how you define it here in your book is this mutual sharing, guiding, instructing between generations, not just older to younger, but younger to older. And what you're saying here is that that mentoring is provided really by both parties in the relationship, which is really beautiful too, because I think people, when they think about a mentoring relationship, think of the mentee being the one on the the receiving end only. But in your book, you talk about kind of this two-way street of both benefiting from the other, and especially in a, in a Christian relationship in the context of walking with them throughout their, their spiritual journey and faith in Christ. Yes, you are correct. And I, I think we have some beautiful examples within scripture that help uh, reinforce that. I mean, you look at the story of Naomi and Ruth and, you know, Naomi's role model and her faith walk impacted Ruth deeply to the point where Naomi in her grief comes to a place where she just changes her name to Mara and is so bitter and releases both Orpah and Ruth back to their families and Ruth says no and clings to Naomi, you know, where you go, my, I will go, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Obviously the impact that Naomi has had on Ruth is such that Ruth is willing to leave all behind to walk with Naomi. So that's a younger to an older, I will walk with you through this really 
tragic loss that we both experienced. And of course, later you have Naomi mentoring Ruth again in her relationship with Boaz, kind of instructing her in the right way to approach Boaz, to let him know that she would love if he would be her kinsman redeemer. So I think that's a really beautiful intergenerational. And Elizabeth and Mary, you have, you know, Mary coming with baby Jesus in her womb and Elizabeth, baby John leaping in, in her own womb and, and just the encouragement, the mutual encouragement that they were able to give each other as moms by miracle. Like who would understand yeah. that better than the two of them to be able to have that shared intimacy, that, that shared knowledge of what had happened that was very different than most other mothers experience. When you're talking about mentoring, do these two people, or especially these these two women, do they have to have a ton in common, or can they be really quite different for a mentoring relationship to work? Uh, you know, I've seen many different connections, and so sometimes it is a mutual, a shared kind of joy for something, whether it's running or gardening or the Word of God. You know, so maybe there is a mutual interest there or just really a love, you know, a shared kind of care for one another that kind of grows over time. So it starts with a willingness. And I think it, it starts in prayer, truly, of being willing to say, Lord, use me. And maybe I only have this little bit to give, you know, because of my busy life and my other responsibilities, but I want to be used by you. And then paying attention to, to what the Holy Spirit may be putting in our path, the people or the opportunities that might be before us and just reaching out. And, and not every connection is going to work or be perfect. So I think it's continuing to be brave and say you're open and, and just kind of see what comes. And I think it also has to come from a general love and interest in someone else, the willingness to listen, to understand and be curious about other people and, and their life, but curious in the right way. Like, help me understand what, what life looks like for you. And where you see God walking with you right now, or what challenges are you facing? Where can I pray for you? You know, so it really is that genuine love and concern and interest that I think helps spark that relationship too. When someone really realizes you're going to show up for them, even when they're messy and they don't have all things together and they start being vulnerable and start sharing a little bit of their story, there's a really beautiful connection that happens in that intimacy, but it, it takes being willing to be open. Mm -hmm. And that's why I call it walking together. I think in a lot of cases, it can become and should become the mentee sharing where they want to grow and the mentor holding them accountable and helping them find the resources or encouragements. That is part of what mentoring should be. And a lot of times it is. But I think the Great Commission shares, and, and this is something that I talk about in the book, that the real word in Greek there is, instead of go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, that go can be translated as, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. So as I'm going, as I'm learning, as God is teaching me through his word, I can use that to teach others and share what I'm learning with them. So it's kind of this reciprocal, beautiful kind of sharing that can happen. Mm -hmm. When I'm in the word, in a week, there's some of my best mentee appointments because I just get to share what God is teaching me. And often he just kind of finds those right nuggets that work for others too. Not that I'm just sitting there telling them all the things that I'm learning in scripture, but I find things apply 
and can be encouragements, little encouragements in those meetings. For those listening who might be thinking, oh my, this is not for me, or oh my, I've never had a mentor before, (laughs) it might sound a little bit hard to cross that barrier to reach out for a mentor or for an older woman as a mentor to to kind of make herself available what would you say for these women listening who want a relationship like that but don't know where to begin or how to start it's a great question i think first to start some prayer and recognizing that the lord will help direct and sometimes it doesn't happen right away and that's okay and then to be brave enough to ask to say, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for someone to be a mentor. Would you want to get coffee sometime? Or would you want to just sit down and have a conversation? Or it could look like someone that you admire at church, someone you admire at your workplace or in another space, and just saying that, like, I really admire you. And I, I would love to just sit down and, and learn from you. Can, can I do that sometime? It is daunting. But I think if we lead with genuine you know, in a sense, a compliment, like, I want to hang out with you because I just think you're just a great woman that I want to learn from. I think that's easy. And even if they have to say, no, I don't have time right now, you still got to pay a compliment to someone. Mm-hmm. A relationship development theory kind of NAPS model, and, and, and that's in the book. We're going to meet hundreds of people that we're going to have that introduction to you, and it's not going to go anywhere. But then there's the one, maybe out of those hundreds, that something just sparks. Someone that you're like, wow, that was a really neat first meeting. I want to get to know that person more. And I think you just allow those little steps to turn into something and be brave enough. You know, if it fails the first few times to just keep trying until something connects. I I truthfully don't remember how our kind of mentoring relationship started, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was like Darcy you're really wise. I want to be like you. (laughs) I'm having some issues. Please help. And you were just willing to do it. And again, maybe you have a less foggy memory of how that happened. But I also think it's kind of a testament to the beauty of a mentoring relationship as you define it is that there was no real starting point. I didn't come up to you and be like, would you please be my mentor? But I did seek you out as a person who I identified as someone wise and very grounded in scripture and one who readily and easily points to Christ. I identified that even at a young age and I was attracted to that. And at that time, I needed wise counsel in my life and you were willing to provide it and walk with me. I think sometimes we had kind of impromptu meetups and other times we had times that we set to have coffee and for you to go through scripture with me and and pray with me. And that is the value, too, of having an intergenerational relationship that Mm -hmm. kind of flows easily just from identifying or being identified by another Yes. I mean, I, it's a little bit foggy for me too, but I remember that you approached me fairly early on and just in your way said, I'd love to talk with you about some things that are on my heart. And we, I don't know, I feel like we went pretty deep, pretty quick, you and I, and it just, it was pretty special. I mean, we maybe like 
initially hung out once, but but then we kind of shared some stuff and we got to kind of shape a Bible study around some of the topics we wanted to talk about. And so that was really neat that it kind of became a group mentoring session too that kind of formed from that. But it was such a blessing. And I think this is something for mentees to recognize too, or just even people who are thinking about finding someone to have a conversation with, maybe not even a formal often meeting, it's a blessing to the mentor, the one being asked, you know, like, wow, that you wanted to hang out and you wanted to to spend time. You know, I talk about it in the book a little bit. I was still transitioning from leaving students that I really cared about out in Oregon, but you and a few others just kind of were letting me know that my ministry was here now. <laughs> and I still got to pray about the students that I really loved and cared about out in the Northwest, but I also got to care about and kind of get to walk with students on Concordia's campus. And it kind of helped me make that transition to recognize what God was doing, where he was leading me now. And he truly provided in a really special way, just in allowing me an opportunity to serve at Concordia as a young mom (laughs) with a new baby. Well, I think that especially now, the younger generation, whatever that is, whether that's my generation or now young women in in college, are craving, without maybe even knowing it, are craving a connection or to learn from older, wiser women, but maybe can't even identify that in themselves. And you talk about that in your book, too, the, the, the power of an intergenerational relationship and why it's especially vital in our current times. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, this is probably not new to many of the listeners, but this is known as the most connected and yet the loneliest culture that exists to this point in history. So we are more connected in more ways than we ever have been. And yet, you know, on surveys, people say that they are the loneliest and the most isolated than ever before. That alone says that even though we are connected, we're not connecting truly in meaningful ways. And the church is best equipped to do that. We have all of the tools. God has given us all the ways to do that. And first, he did that for us. When we were disconnected from him, he came down to earth and became a baby, walked among us and restored that relationship. He found the only way that could bring us back, and that was through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ so that we could be with him forever. And that took humility, that took humbling himself, becoming a servant, even to the point of death, in order for us to see his great love. I think I start there because, you know, and this maybe speaks to our culture, we are the most self-absorbed, selfish culture also. It is easy for us to have lots of good reasons to justify me and what I need. And I think for us to to model after Christ, it means laying that down and being willing to submit ourselves and serve others. The best way we can do it is to listen, but really listen, which is another book out there by Kate Murphy, and I'm going to forget the name. New York Times a journalist has done a lot of research on listening. Everyone craves to be listened to, but that no one really knows how to do it. They may kind of know some of the terms, but they don't really know how to do it well. Uh, You're Not Listening is the book. And truly, she just talks about that being a journalist and learning how to listen well, that people have shared really deep personal things with her because 
they just felt like she would listen. To think of us as a as a church being willing to serve through listening, listening to understand, uh, not so that we can speak, not so that we can really have any wise thing to say, but truly to listen, at, listen to understand, and then you know pay attention to what the Holy Spirit might be working in that person's life. And I think using scripture and letting the person encounter God's word and kind of encouraging them as they're growing and learning in the word. I mean, that's such a beautiful space that is really needed. And that's where true connection happens. But what listening does, true listening, and when I say it, I mean the willingness to listen, to understand another person's perspective to the point that I could reflect back to you what you've said, and you would say, yes, Darcy, you heard me correctly, and even identify the emotion that you meant it. So an example I use in the book is uh, Ava, when she was five, you know, we were snuggling in bed together, or she said, mom, why is life so hard? Of course, my heart was breaking it up. You think of how do you answer that to a five-year-old? And so to buy time, I said, well, what do you mean by that? Which is a good thing to say to children. Well, what do you mean by that? Because they often mean something different than we think. So she goes into an explanation about how the claw machine at the pizza parlor kept dropping the toy that grandpa grandpa would put in coins and the claw machine would go down and drop the toy. And so no toy, you know, so what she really meant is why was that machine so unfair? Because it didn't give me the toy that I wanted. So that was a much different question for me to address than why is life so hard? I think spending time to listen and understand allows for you to really be able to address what is really going on. I think that's another piece of the disconnection in our culture. I mean, social media, we're not listening to understand. We are just blasting people, our partial understanding on a topic. And it's damaging to the point that, that no one is listening to one another anymore in our culture about anything. So we need to be a church that push, pushes back. We need to be willing to listen, to understand, even if we don't agree, allowing that person a chance to explain may set up the conversation much differently than we originally expected. <laughs> you know, it's not right. like I still speak to Ava's needs, but I learned that they were much different than I thought they were. Yeah. Well, listen, I share her sentiment. I also wonder sometimes why the claw machine is so hard <laughs> and why the odds are ever against you. <laughs> what a sweet, innocent question to ask. Well, what you're saying, Darcy, is essentially that, yes, we're having a conversation about women-to-women relationships, but this really also applies across the board, you know, and transfers to relationships within the church, male and female, young and old. And you quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his Life Together book. Yes. Mm -hmm. He says, the first service one owes to others in the community involves listening to them. Christians who no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. And then he goes on to say, Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. That's beautiful. And that also ties in with your emphasis in your book on sharing the story, sharing your story, sharing the story of God's faithfulness in your life, pointing out where God is at work 
in another person's life, but then also placing that person within the context of the greater story of human history and also the the greater story of an ongoing legacy of believers that really changes one's perspective to know you're just a, a tiny part of this story, a much larger story than than just your own. And you actually cite research in your book about the importance of having this strong intergenerational self, this awareness that you are <laughs> not the only person in this world, <laughs> pushing back on the self-absorption of our culture. But then in the Christian context, to remind another what it means to be a child of God within the community of believers, the body of Christ. And so thereby pointing to living water, which is what Jesus offers this woman at the well. Can you tell us why this story, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, why this is your launching point and then how you connect this throughout your whole book? Yes. So three passages that I'll tie in, John 4 being the last, but I would start with Isaiah 61 and, and Luke 4. Isaiah 61 is prophetic, and, and obviously there are many theologians out there that could, could speak to Isaiah uh, 61 even better than I, but in it, it talks about the one who will come being someone who would restore. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That is 61, 1 and 2. And then you see Jesus and Luke 4 cite this passage, Isaiah 61, right after he comes out of the wilderness. You see Jesus in Luke 4, 18 and 19, quote that, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blinds, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, of course, in verse 21, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, you know, which is kind of his mic drop moment to say, I'm here. And then John 4 you see Jesus living this out with the woman at the well because he's going to this woman who is, is bound in this lifestyle that is holding her captive and just speaking life to her, talking about living water, talking about baptism. So he's living out being the savior. I believe it's the longest dialogue with another person within scripture, very close to the amount of dialogue with Nicodemus in John 3, but at the end of John 4, he reveals that he's the Messiah to this woman. He goes out of his way to meet with this woman at the well. He asks her questions and basically gets her to recognize that everything from go and call your husband and I'll give you living water and then kind of the, the reveal that she doesn't have a husband, she's actually had five and the person that she's living with now is not her husband. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus' purpose is to, is to get her to basically to admit that she needs the Savior. In fact, she says, well, you know, they have lots of conversations about, you know, who the Messiah will be and where you will worship. And Jesus says, well, there will come a day where it won't matter where you worship, but that you worship in spirit and truth. 
And then, of course, she says, well, one day the Messiah will explain all of this. Then Jesus says, well, I am he. I love that she leaves the, the water, you know, the vessel at the well, and she runs back into town. And the way that she runs back into town or that the message that she gives is come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? For her to use her own shameful testimony to say, come and see, because she now understood that he was changing her story. He was binding up the brokenhearted and proclaiming freedom to the captives and doing all the things that are talked about in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 and using this woman to be his mouthpiece to the Samaritan people. This broken vessel got to go in and tell everyone to come and see. And I love this story. I love that the disciples were so clueless <laughs> that they came up and they're like, you know, we brought you food. And Jesus like, I, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're like, who brought him food? You know, they're right. like. Who beat us to it? And he starts talking about that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And I just imagine, not that this is exactly in scripture, but I have this picture in my head of, you know, this woman's gone to town, come and see. And the Samaritans are just coming out to meet Jesus. And it's like, what a visible representation that would be of, here's the harvest. Because I had a conversation with one. And I think for women, because that's who I speak to in the book, for us to be willing to share where we've needed Jesus. We are broken, sinful people. My book is not perfect. You know, my mentoring skills probably need some work, but I'm someone who loves Jesus and wants to share the message of salvation with as many people as I can. And yes, he's going to use this broken vessel, but it's him working through me. Because if it was up to me to bring anyone to faith, it wouldn't happen. It is the Holy Spirit working through the word that allows anyone to come to faith. So this woman could run into town and say, come and see, look what he's done in my story. Come and meet him. And that's what we get to do. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to invite people to meet him. And then we get a front row seat to watch him work. <laughs> and Stephanie, I think in that Bible study that we had, we got to, we got to watch God work in the lives of women. Yes. And you're getting to do that through your podcast. The women in our church body do it in so many different ways. They do it from their homes. They do it from corporate workplaces. They do it in the church. They do it in their families, caring for their kids and, and their husbands. We find our ways. But at the end of the day, it's all of us saying, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And it is through our brokenness that people see Christ. It's not through our perfection. It's not because we have it all figured out. It's not because we can say things with more eloquence than someone else or with more citations. It's because it's because God works through his word and we get to be a part of that work in the lives of others. So any woman is qualified if they have the word of God and the spirit helping them. Well, it says there that many after that believed in Samaria, and he actually extended his stay by two days to be with them. And I imagine there was a lot of teaching and togetherness, maybe sharing food, <laughs> bread and, and wine, and going into the story of Jacob and Joseph and how these Samaritans were grafted, you know, back into 
to the family. And it's no small thing that Jesus is talking to a woman here. Now, I didn't know this was the longest dialogue that Jesus had had with someone in in the scriptures, but he chose to have that at least documented here in scripture with a woman. And then not only that, but a Samaritan woman. You go into the nuances of that, but why is that so significant for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman? Well, they were estranged back in Old Testament days. So when the Jews were in exile, many of them were taken into exile, but there was a remnant that stayed in Jerusalem. That remnant intermarried with other tribes in the area, and some lost their way or kind of watered down their faith practices. And so when the Jews came back, there was kind of this separation. They didn't want the Samaritans that, you know, as we now call them in the temple or worshiping because they had intermarried and they had broken some of God's law. And there was, there was a break that happened and that prejudice kind of grew over the years where the, the Jews would walk all the way around Samaria. And if they touched a Samaritan, there were rules about you would be unclean if you touched a Samaritan. So the fact that that Jesus was a rabbi, so a teacher, and he was a male and he was a Jew, the idea that he would approach the woman at the well was unheard of. You know, I'm sure the disciples had some strong conversations about the fact that they were going to pass through Samaria because they wanted to do the right thing. And yet Jesus walked right into town or at least to the well, because he is, again, the restorer. He's the redeemer. He's the savior. And so he's coming to bring his people back and he'll go wherever he needs to, to make that happen. And it's not to, I want to be careful. We don't want to water down anything or to condone or accept anything goes kind of mentality that kind of tolerance compromises scripture in any way. We don't want that. But Jesus didn't do that. He approached the woman at the well and called out her sin, but gave her a way back. And that was living water. That was baptism. That was the washing and cleansing through the water and the word, which was no act of hers. That's the beauty, right, of our teachings. It's not that she could choose it, but it was there for her, and she just needed not to turn away from it. In Christ's graciousness, too, he asks her for a drink of water. And she, in a sense, provides for a physical need of his, which, you know, he's the one to reach out first, but opens the door for connection with another person. And not that Christ came to be an example for us of communication 101 or relationship 101, but we learn stuff here from Christ and his willingness to be interrupted. So going through Samaria versus going around it, his willingness to reach out to someone who was living in the shadows, who wasn't necessarily crying for help. In fact, she was trying to avoid people by going to the well at noon. We learn about Christ's compassion and his grace. And in that, we can apply that in our relationships as well. This is a beautiful whole chapter to read in John 4 about Christ's way of redeeming and restoring the lost. I think something that I am passionate about within our church body, and this 
you know, Stephanie, you remember light retreats, something before I was there. So it didn't start with me, but students being willing to share like just a little bit of their personal story and where they had seen God kind of at work in their life and them being willing to share a little bit about what God had done in their life. It just opened up, you almost felt like the collective sigh in the room of like, good, I'm not the only one who has struggled with that or has dealt with that and how that opens up the conversation. And it's okay for us to admit that we're messy. And then we get to hear God's forgiveness from one another. We get to hear God's love for one another. I want us to be, you know, our women in our congregations to be brave enough to share their story where God has met them and forgiven them, where he's encouraged them when they've been down, helped them through grief, helped them through a struggle and be willing to be a little vulnerable in that. Not that they need to overshare with everyone, but in the circles that you're given, whether it's a Bible study group or whether it's a one-on-one, to be willing to share, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can you be the Messiah? Because that's what this world needs. They need to see not just this God who seems out there, but how he has shown up in my life personally and the lives of those around us. It's both, right? And then we get to help them come and see in our congregations, like come to church, come hear the word, you know, in our Bible studies or in the sermons. But I think it starts with that connection and relationship. I mean, there's a lot of research among millennials and now Gen Z that people do not trust institutions at all. And in fact, there is overall lack of trust in any authority figure in our culture right now. So how do they meet Jesus? Well, they're going to meet them through our stories and through our connections, the lay people of the congregations reaching out and being willing to share their story. And it doesn't have to be knocking door and door. It can be just as you're walking, as you're learning, as you're growing, bring people to come and see. Yeah, as you walk along the way and within your particular vocations you've been called to act in, you know, you point to Galatians 6, which says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is especially powerful when older women and younger women connect and have relationship. And you point out the fact that these mentors of a different generation have this wisdom through experience and through time and through the workings of God in their life to, you say, view the present from the future. And they have these experiences and these lessons that help soften the blows of the present as you write. And in that way, their wisdom, what they have learned, the knowledge that God has given them, allows them to bear the burden of one who is younger with them as they walk with them, pray with them, dive into scripture together, worship together, be in communion with another. And older women don't have to look so old. You're one of those older women now, Stephanie. (laughs) I don't know if you you realize that, but I mean, look (laughs) at all that God has done in your life, the blessings he's given you with your family, that now to a young, you think of the questions that all college students have, not just some when you're in college about what is my life going to look like? What does the future hold? And now, in a sense, you can encourage their present with what you've experienced in your present now, like that their future, which is where you were at, like it's going to be okay. 
It may not look like exactly how you expected, but it's, it's, it's going to be okay. God's going to be with you in that process. Yeah. Because we've been baptized into the living water <laughs> and that's what binds us. And that's what makes our future okay because we have this hope in Christ. So Darcy, just to wrap up, this is a podcast centered on the gospel and the gospel's message on life, how Christians are to protect and value life and how we live life as God's redeemed people. So how does a conversation about a mentoring relationship fit into this kind of theme? Well, I think I want, especially this audience that cares so deeply about life, to think about a few things. What if tomorrow abortion is illegal and we now have lots of moms with small babies and lots of need for extra grandmas and women to walk with those women who didn't expect to be carrying a little one or their circumstances are so hard that it's it's hard to manage it all. How do we prepare for that? How do we prepare not just for a time when life is valued by all, but prepare to walk with those moms and those babies and those dads so that they can be well-loved and well-cared for? What, what does that look like for us? What does it look like to do it now? We do it all over the place. I mean, here in Wisconsin, the place of refuge is a home for moms that choose to keep their baby and now are learning life skills and kind of getting on their feet so that they can have a good home for that child. And that was because a group of people were willing to say, whoa, it's more than just saying I'm pro-life. What am I willing to do to walk with these women and really advocate for life for them and not just life for this baby, but for this mom to have a good life and and maybe that dad if we can have that dad be present in that life and be a village that raises that child and there are many examples of that around our synod but we need more you know here on campus at concordia we have a document that uh, we put together that has all the resources on campus so that you know let's say that a, a, a student is pregnant and you know, decides, wants to still get their education and wants to carry that child and, you know, hopefully keep the child, but maybe adopt out the child. How do we care for that young mom while she's still here? And maybe that dad so that they get the resources and the support they need to choose life. Obviously, we would love if things went the way that God would like it to. But what do we do to say, we still care for you, even if it didn't go as planned? And to make it possible for that mom to get an education and that child to be cared for. So I think that's where we need to be willing as a, as a church to think a little bit further about what it means to mentor and, and show up for those that find themselves in unexpected need of care by others. And it, and it looks like being willing to, to maybe go to some places like Samaria that you're uncomfortable or unfamiliar with to let moms in especially urban areas know that we want to love and care for them too. And again, we have so many places that are already doing that, but we need more. We need more volunteers, more women that are willing to be there and encourage and say, yeah, I'll walk with you. 
Well, in your book, you have a, a helpful way of a person thinking through this to be able to have eyes open. And essentially, you say, who around me is trying hard not to be noticed and yet screaming for attention? One of the things that you just mentioned, of course, is unwed mothers or mothers with unplanned pregnancies. There's all sorts of other situations as well, like um, a, a newly widowed woman. Mm-hmm who needs to be reached out to and cared for and to have someone walk alongside her. A young teenage girl who's really struggling with the transition from, you know, junior high to high school and and then maybe what college years will look like. To a new mom in general kind of drowning under the exhaustion of, of the newborn stage. How do we identify those women and, and reach out to be able to offer, to listen, to understand, and to share God's word with hmm. them? Your book has so many applications. For those listening and wanting to find Darcy's book, it is titled Someone to Walk With, A Woman's Guide to Christian Mentoring, and it can be found and purchased at CPH, Concordia Publishing House, at cph.org. That's where you can pick up your book and read all of the wisdom that Darcy has to offer, not just in this hour segment, but to be able to read, digest, and apply. If I might, two other sources. One would be through the Women's Leadership Institute website. We have a Growing Together mentoring workshop that can come to your congregation. You could be a whole weekend retreat. It could be a three-hour workshop, but we help equip women in congregations. It's listening skills and critical thinking skills and searching scripture, just some tools that help women feel a little bit more equipped to walk with one another in those relationships. All tools that are already out there, we just kind of frame it for a congregation. So it's it's things that are being used in mentoring circles already. So that's on our website. It is something that you could look into that I'd be happy to talk with anyone more about. We've used it to help congregations connect with their preschools. We have used it to uh, equip church work professionals uh, in their roles. We've used it on campus with student leaders so that they feel more comfortable in peer mentoring opportunities. So uh, we're just getting started. So there'll be much more to come. Uh, We want to train and equip facilitators so that this can really travel around the country. The last thing I will say, just as an encouragement to all is, Pay attention to your own church. There's lots of ways to do this. Beth Jujong, who was our Women of Influence winner through WLI this year, there's an article on our website about how she started a service club for kids. So like the kids of their their congregation, a beautiful savior in Mequon, they get together and they do service opportunities. And one of their service opportunities is to visit or write letters to shut-ins within their congregation. And so talk about a really powerful intergenerational mentoring that is just a neat way that they're getting to bless one another. Those, those kids that now have great grandmas and grandpas that they wouldn't have known otherwise and vice versa. These grandmas and grandpas that now have extra little ones that draw them pictures or just send them little notes. You know, it's just a, it, it can be simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. But what a powerful way to make a difference in a congregation. Yeah. And what a powerful way to kind of reverse the trend for our youngest generation. Let's work on real connectedness rather than isolation and loneliness that you mentioned is currently what's what's being felt right now. Thank you so much, Darcy, for being willing to come on and to 
share all of this with me and to share your wisdom and then these resources. It's been a joy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. This has been a blessing. May the Lord continue to work through you as well in the work you do on your podcast. Amen. Thank you. And thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. 